You're listening to Love and Marriage, a sermon series about finding and staying in love. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how we doing? We doing good? All right, all right, all right. That sounded kind of weak. We doing good? All right. Anybody excited to be in God's house? Uh, we excited about this series we've been in? Love and marriage, right? Love and marriage. You know, we know uh, that love and marriage are supposed to go together. They really are. They're supposed to go and gather, to go, go together. But uh, the truth is, so many marriages really seem to be lacking in the love department. I heard about this thief who robbed a bank and he did it in the middle of the day. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, it was prime time. There were customers everywhere. He just walks right in. He's waving a gun and everybody freaks out. Of course, he makes everybody lay down. And so he goes to one of the tellers and he makes the teller fill his bag up with all the money. And so he's about to leave the bank. But before he leaves the bank, this bank robber, this thief, he, he asked this guy who's on the floor, he says, did you see me rob this bank? And the man said, yeah, I saw you. And so, boom, he just took the guy out right there. It was shocking. Everybody was, everybody was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that. And so the thief, again, he goes to another guy. He says, did you see me rob that bank? And the guy says, absolutely not, sir, but I just want to tell you, my wife saw it all. You know what I mean? <laughs> Love and marriage, right? It's supposed to go together. <laughs> anyway, truthfully, 50% of marriages, though, they, they do end in divorce. And so it should be obvious to you and obvious to me that marriage really is under attack. We said it last week, but uh, studies show that in 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. 83%. Uh, but today, only 49% of adult Americans are married. Less than half of the adult population, uh, again, is getting married. And so it continues to drop, that number continues to drop every year. With so many people coming from broken homes and with so many people coming from broken, broken marriages, there really is a lot of apprehension when it comes to this idea of marriage. But I, I just want you to understand that God created marriage. God created marriage and God would never create anything that would harm us. God created marriage to be beautiful. God created marriage to be amazing. God created marriage to be wonderful. And, you know, if you do things the way that God says, you don't have a 50% success or 50% chance of success in your marriage. If you will do things the way that God says, you have a 100% chance of success. And so today I want to talk to you about uh, the laws of marriage, God's laws uh, for marriage. Now, when you hear that word law or laws, I don't, really, I don't know what really comes into your mind or what pops into your mind, uh, but when I was thinking about it this past week, I began to wonder how many laws there actually were in America. How many, anybody know how many laws there are in America? Uh, I didn't know, so I went to Google, because uh, that's where you go when you're trying to ask anything, if you got the question answered to anything. And so I asked, how many laws are there in the United States? And Google says that nobody knows. There are so many laws that nobody actually knows how many laws there are. And I said, man, uh, that's, that's really weird that not everybody knows how many laws. People don't even know what all the laws are. Because it, wouldn't you agree it's important to know the law? Because if you don't know the law, what could you find yourself accidentally doing? 
breaking the law. And if you get caught breaking the law, guess what could happen? You could go to jail, and ain't nobody got time for that. So I thought it'd be important as we kind of get started to take a, a little time and tell you about some of the laws that are actually on the books in certain cities and states around our nation, just in case you find yourself in a situation where uh, you might be tempted to break the law. You need to know about these. And so let's talk about this first law that they've got uh, right here. Uh, this is in the state of Kentucky. First off, anybody from Kentucky here? Okay, good. Uh, in the state of Kentucky, it is illegal for a woman to marry the same man four times. Now, uh, when I was reading that, I was sitting here thinking, man, how many ladies were trying to marry the same man four different times? How many, how many times did this happen where the state finally said, we got to do something about this? You know what I mean? But apparently it was a problem because in the state of Kentucky, it is illegal for a woman to marry the same man four times. Here's another law you need to be aware of. It's on the books in Eureka, Nevada. In Eureka, Nevada, it is illegal for a mustached man to kiss a woman in public. It's real law, man, real law. So if you got a mustache, if you were Mr. Mustachio and you were thinking about traveling to Eureka, Nevada, and you know you was planning on kissing your wife in public, don't do it. Don't do it. You'll get in trouble. Here's another one. Again, this is out of Florida. In the state of Florida, if an elephant is tied to a parking meter, the parking meter fee must be paid just as it would a motor vehicle. How, why in the world was this even a problem? How many people got elephants in Florida and they parking them on the street, man? But this is an actual law, an actual law. And then this is just one more really, really, really important. This is in Kingman, Arizona. In Kingman, Arizona, it is illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub after 7 p.m. After 7 p.m. Now, why do these laws exist? You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Again, these are actual laws, but... Uh, truthfully, with so many laws that exist in our country, uh, so many people who don't even know the law, we're probably all lawbreakers, right? You know, yo, I don't want to break the law. How many of y'all speed? Yeah, a bunch of liars. Don't even raise your hand in church. A bunch of so we, we, we do. We break the law. We break the law. And so there are some laws that you break, and, and there might just be a warning that you get. There are some laws that you break, and there might be a little fine. There are some laws that you break that might be considered a misdemeanor. But there are also some laws that if you break could bring serious consequences on your life. They could be like a felony charge or something uh, like that. And so what I want you to understand, though, is that in your marriage there are also some laws. There are also some laws that if you break, you, you will have some serious consequences in your life. And I know some of the men right now are thinking, oh man, I know it. My wife's got all kinds of laws in the marriage. You know, I got to use a coaster. Uh, I can't leave my shoes on the floor. Don't leave my socks on the floor. Make sure I put the toilet seat down. She got so many laws. I don't even know them all, Robert. Uh, but those aren't the kind of laws that I want to talk to you about today. Uh, the laws that I want to look at today in regards to marriage are God's laws. They're God's laws. And remember, we've said God created marriage, and He created it to be wonderful. Uh, he created it to be great. And I want you to understand that when you do marriage God's way, it just works. It just, it just works. So what are God's laws when it comes to marriage? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and what you need to understand, in Genesis chapter 2, God creates marriage. He creates marriage and and uh, after, he, after he creates marriage, man, uh, he looks, or actually he creates everything but marriage first, creates Adam, and he says, hey, you know what? Uh, everything is good, right? Everything except one thing. Everything except one thing. What, what, what was it that was not good? Look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for what? For the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. So it's not good for man to be alone. 
right? Not good for man to be alone. So God comes to, e, uh, comes to Adam and he's like, hey, man, I'm going to make you a beautiful woman. She's going to be beautiful, man, and she's going to cook for you. She's gonna just, and when you discover clothing, man, she's going to wash your clothes and never complain. She's always going to agree with every decision that you make. You know what I mean? When, when you have an argument, she'll be the first one to apologize. She's going to praise you. She's going to bear your children, never ask you to get up in the middle of the night and take care of them. I mean, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. And Adam's like, man, that's amazing. How much is something like that going to cost me? And God says, an arm and a leg. And so Adam says, well, what can I get for a rib? And the rest is history, right? That's what we got. You know the story. That's how it happened. Just kidding. But God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. And he brings Eve to Adam. And the moment that Adam sees Eve, he starts singing. He, he really starts singing. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, check this out. This is Adam. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is Hebrew poetry. So Adam literally here, he is singing, wow, wow. He is excited about this. And then in the very next verse, God gives us some pretty important laws when it comes to marriage. I want you to see this. Check out what, check out what the Bible says. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And then verse 25 says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, if you've been to a wedding before, you have probably heard these verses. If you've been in church before, you've probably heard these verses and never really given much thought to them. You've never really thought about them. But again, these are the words in God's word that immediately follow marriage, that immediately follow Marriage. I mean, he creates marriage, and then these words are spoken. And, and I want you to see that in those two verses are four laws. Four laws that need to be the foundation of every marriage. If your marriage is in trouble, it's because you broke one of these laws. It's because either you or your spouse both were breaking these laws. And first off, before we get to the laws, let me just tell you, they're not complicated. Okay? They're simple. If they were complicated, I couldn't do them. It, because I can do them, that means that anybody can do them. So let's jump right in. If you're taking notes, you want to write them down. The first law, first law when it comes to God's law of marriage is the law of priority. Everybody say priority. Good job making sure y'all are still with me. Check it out. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says that that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Now that word leave right there, some translations of the Bible will use the word cleave, okay? And so what in the world does that mean? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't mean, I'm sorry, this is Lee there, but what you need to understand is that when it says that you will leave your father and mother, it doesn't mean that you begin to mistreat your father and mother. That's not what it, that's not, that's not what it means. It simply means that when you get married, you have to reprioritize your life. You have to reprioritize your life. See, when you, when you, before you get married, the most important relationship in many people's lives is the relationship that they have with their father and their mother. Now, that's really the, the closest relationship that people have. Now, 
Again, I know that times have changed. Culture is different. And so a lot of people aren't raised by their father and mother anymore. You might be one of those individuals. You were raised by your grandparents. You were raised by your aunt. You were raised by your uncles. You were raised by, uh, I don't know, who, you know, whatever, your friends. But the truth remains that when you get married, things change. It's not your mom and dad uh, that come first. It's not your grandparents that come first. It's not your aunt and uncle that come first. It's not your friends that come first. You reprioritize your life and your spouse comes first. I want you to understand this. Again, this, this is spoken right after Adam and Eve get married. This is why... A, a man leaves his father and mother. Why in the world? Have you ever thought about it? Why in the world is that written right there? Who, who, were, Adam and, who were Adam's parents? Who was his mom and dad? He didn't have no belly button. I mean, he might have, but he wasn't connected to, a, he wasn't connected to his mother in the womb, right? So why in the world does he even need to know? This is why a man leaves his father and mother. What in the world was happening here? Why was it important for this to be said, again, it doesn't necessarily mean your father and mother. God is illustrating a principle here, and that is when you get married, your spouse is first. Before mom and dad, before your aunt and uncle, before your cousins, before your job, before your hobbies, before your friends, they are first. And I know what some people in here are thinking. You're thinking, well, I thought God is supposed to be first. God is supposed to be first. And yes, God is supposed to be first. He should be above all. But, but listen to me. When you stand at the altar and you get married, when you stand at the altar and you get married, God places something inside of you that says of your spouse, you belong to me first. You belong to me First, you can see this clearly in the scripture, in scriptures like Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 2, verse 16, where the Bible says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. It, it doesn't say, my beloved is hers and mine. It says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. No, you belong to me first. That means before you belong to your parents, you belong to your spouse. Before you belong to your friends, you belong to your spouse. Before you belong to your hobbies, you belong to your spouse. It happens for both husband and wife. There is this legitimate jealousy that is created and automatically placed in our heart when we get married. And some people would say, well, that's not a God. That's not a God, but I want you to see an interesting verse in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 24, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, check out what the Bible says. It says, do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is, what? Jealous, is a jealous God, capital J. So what does that mean? What does that mean that God is a jealous God? It means intolerant of rivalry. Intolerant of rivalry. God is not jealous in a bad way. God is jealous in a passionate way. He loves us and he fights for our relationship. He fights for our affection. I am thankful that God is a jealous God. I'm thankful that God will fight for me. I am thankful that when anything else in my life begins to take God's place, that he fights for me. That excites me. It really, it really does. So stay with me. God deserves first place, right? He wants 
first place. That's really how it's supposed to be. Well, the same thing happens in our marriage. You will naturally become jealous of anything that is taking your place in your spouse's life. You will naturally become jealous of anything that is taking your place in your spouse's life. Any person or anything, something again that is legitimately taking their place. And so if your spouse is jealous of something that's in your life, you ought to be thankful that they are willing to fight for your affection. You say, well, my wife's always fussing because because I'm always playing golf every weekend, leaving her alone. You say, my wife's always fussing because I'm always hunting, leaving her alone. Uh, My wife's always fussing because I'm always working and leaving her alone. It's because in marriage, we are intolerant of rivalry. We're intolerant of rivalry. We are intolerant of anything that takes our place in our spouse's life. You say, well, there's nothing wrong with, with golf. There's nothing wrong with with hunting, there's nothing wrong with fishing. Yeah, you're right. But listen to me. There are a lot of good things, a lot of good things that will wreck your marriage if they are out of priority. There are a lot of good things that will wreck your marriage if they are out of priority. Here's a, a personal example from my own life. Several years ago, two or three actually, um, I was driven by this incredible fear of failure. Um, I had invested everything that I have in Elevate Church. I I had put all my time, all my energy, my heart, trying to get the church really established and up and going. It cost me the majority of my retirement. I had to cash it in. I had to take out loans to get some things straight. And I thought to myself, man, if this thing fails, I'm ruined. If this thing fails... I am a failure. And so I was working all the time. All the time, even when I got home, I couldn't stop thinking about work. Even when I was at home, I couldn't stop stop doing work. I couldn't stop. It was just work, 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 work. Church, 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 church. And Amanda would need stuff. Amanda would need stuff, but, but I just had tunnel vision. It was just church, 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 church. And one day, Amanda called me out on it. She called me out on it, and I was like, woman? You're supposed to sing my praises. I'm doing the Lord's work, right? I mean, that's what I thought. I'm a superhero, a master pastor, because I got a master's degree. <laughs> I thought, here to my own wife, trying to bring down the Lord's anointed. That's what I thought. So we had this huge fight, huge fight, and I slept on the couch because <laughs> I wasn't about to let her have the blessing of sleeping in the same bed with me. She slept better that night. But I was sleeping on the couch, and I remember praying, man, God, she is wrong. Get that woman. That woman you gave me, she's wrong. Here I'm doing all this stuff for you, God, trying to get the church established, and she's going to give me a hard time. God, get her. I was sweet and person and violent in prayer. Some of y'all remember that from last week. But that's what I thought. I'm praying, God, God, get her. And finally God said, Robert, and I was like, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. And he said, Robert, you're wrong. What? God, did, do you not see all the stuff I'm doing for you? That's really what I, in my mind, I'm arguing. God's like, no, you're wrong. What you have communicated to your wife is that the church is more important than her. Go and tell her that you're wrong. <laughs> 
I thought, what? But he was right. And so I went to Amanda and I said, I said, baby, I'm sorry. I said, I'm scared. I said, I'm driven by fear. I've been giving everything to the church. I've been giving the church my best. And I haven't been giving you my best. And that's not fair to you. I even told Amanda, I'm not making this up. I told Amanda I would leave the ministry. I said, I'll do something else. I just want to make sure that you and I are right. And Amanda said, Robert, you're supposed to be in the ministry. I don't want you to leave the ministry. She said, but I need you. I need to be first. And so from that point forward, I tried my hardest to change and make sure that my priorities didn't get out of whack. See, it's easy for me as a pastor to get confused between God and church. But my personal relationship with God is the most important thing. Then it's my relationship with my wife. Then it's my relationship with my children. And then it's church, my work. See, work for me and work for you should be way down here on the list. Again, a lot of times the things that are threatening our marriages are good things out of priority. And let me say it because it's important. Men, your wife should be more important to you than your children. Wives, your husband should be more important to you than your children. See, when you stand at the altar and you say, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death, you need to understand that kids are a blessing. But kids are a temporary assignment. See, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. I want you to see this. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way in which he should go. You see that kids aren't meant to stay. Kids are meant to go. You, you cannot live your life for your kids. Listen to me. I remember the first day that they gave. They, I remember them putting Brianna Grace in my arms for the first time. They put her in my hands, and it was a, it was a sweet moment. But you know what else I realize? That there's going to come a day when I will have to put her into the hand of another man. I'll have to give her away. And when that happens, I assure you, she doesn't want me following her around for the rest of her life. Hey, what y'all about to do? Well, you better not. You know, I mean, she don't want that happening. She don't want that happening. So how in the world, listen, how in the world are we going to teach our kids to prioritize their spouse if we don't prioritize our spouse. Man, don't give up your spouse for your kids. Your, your, your marriage is the core of the family. And listen to me. Your, your, your husband, your wife, they don't need to just hear you say that they are a priority in your life. They need to see it by your actions. They need to know that you will make any change in your life except for your relationship with Jesus Christ to put them first. They need, they need to know that they are first. It is the law of priority. This is why a man leaves 
The second law that I want you to see in God's marriage or in the marriage is the law of pursuit. The law of pursuit. And this one's fun. I want you to see what verse 24 says again. It says that that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. That word united, I was getting a little confused a little while ago. That word united, some translations do use the word cleave. So what in the world does that mean? In Hebrew, what that word actually means is to pursue with all energy. To pursue with all energy, to cling on to. It's a very energetic word. You need to know that from the very beginning, God said that marriage takes a lot of work. Marriage takes a lot of work. You got to work at it. Think about it. When you're 16 or 17 years old and you start dating, don't, don't, you put a lot of work into that, don't you? Right? I mean, I know I did. Man, before I went out on a date, you know what I was doing? I was washing my 1988 Pontiac Grand Prix. Woo! Huh? I was putting armor all on the dash and on the seats. I was putting tire shine on my wheels and my tires. Man, you know, every time I come around the city, bling, bling, right? I want, I want it to look fresh. I, want, I made sure I had gum. Why? Because I don't want my breath to stink. I made sure I smelled good. There was a lot of work involved in dating. I wanted whatever girl I was going to be picking up to think I was the best thing since sliced bread. Then think about it. I mean, when I started dating Amanda, it was a lot of work. I would, like, break into her car. Not really. But I would put a mixed CD in her CD player so that when she got in there and crunk it up, it'd be like, you know, I'll be, I'll be, you know, the Savage Garden. What? Huh? That's what I was doing. I was sending her flowers, sending her notes. I, I, I worked hard. Even the proposal was elaborate. It was elaborate. But as soon as I knew I had her, I began to take her for granted. And that's human nature, especially for men. Like, how many men in here like to hunt? You like to hunt. Okay. Aren't men funny when it comes to hunting? They'll put out the trail cameras. They'll find them a deer. They like, ooh, I like that deer. Ooh, that's going to be my deer. I'm going to get that deer. Ooh, they name them. I'm going to name that deer. Ooh, that's my deer. They'll wake up early and crawl out of a cold bed and climb into a cold tree and stay there all day because they're working. That's going to be my deer. Right? They'll wipe dopey all over the place. <laughs> Smell good. Come on in. Right? They, they, they working for that deer. They're working for that deer. Then, then the chance to get that deer will come. They'll finally get their shot and they'll get that deer. And once they got that deer, what are they doing? They're on the ground taking pictures. Look happier than they did in their marriage photos. Right? <laughs> They're happy. So they'll get that deer stuffed, they'll get that deer mounted, and then they get the deer and they'll hang it on their wall where really all it's going to do is rot and collect dust. <laughs> it's going to hang there and be neglected. I mean, every now and then you'll look at that thing on the wall, and you'll tell somebody about the store, you got it, when you got it. But for the most part, it's just a trophy on the wall, right? Well, what's sad is that a lot of men treat their wives the same way. They'll work hard to get them. But then once they got them, it's just a trophy at the house. Neglect sets in. Neglect. Every now and then they'll look at her and give her attention. 
But most of the time, again, it's just neglect. iMom.com released a statistic that said that the average married couple only spends four minutes alone with each other every single day. Four minutes alone every single day. Some of the men say, well, Robert, that's all I need. Yeah, but that's not all your wife needs. Four minutes doesn't show that the two of you are a priority. And four minutes doesn't show your wife that you are pursuing her. We are supposed to, to cleave to our wife. We are supposed to pursue her with all our energy, and we do it every day, every single day. The Huffington Post released an article about this man who proposes to his wife every single day and thanks her for marrying him. Thanks her for marrying him. And here's what he said. He said it requires a lot of effort and commitment to do it. Not effort that causes turmoil, but fun effort. (laughs) Men, what would happen if we did that? How would our wives respond if every single day, every single day we did some sort of silly romantic proposal for them? I mean, if she went to the refrigerator and she's getting some food out and she turned around and boom, there you are and you're on one knee. Girl, please be the cheese to my macaroni. Marry me. (laughs) Then the next day, you know, the next day before she got up to go to work, you know, you got her a glass of water and a Flintstone vitamin. And you walked up to her and you said, are you okay, honey? You look like, you're, you, look like you need a little vitamin me. <laughs> Take this, marry me, right? I mean, what would happen? What would happen if, if we actually did that? I'll tell you what would happen. Your wife would feel like she was a priority in your life and she would feel like you are pursuing her and you'd have more nights of your dreams than just sweeping it's a law of pursuit. Husbands and wives, we are supposed to pursue our spouse with all of our energy. But men, I want you to realize that that verse says that this is why a man does it. This is why a man cleaves to his wife. We set the tone, and so we should pursue our wife with all of our energy. But it takes work, it takes effort, it takes energy. So the third law of marriage that I want you to see, i got to hurry up. Third law of marriage is the law of priority, the law of pursuit, and the law of possession. The law of possession. And that law says that God created married couples to share everything. To share everything. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, check it out. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. How many are they united into? One. One Flesh, that means that they share everything. Marriage is about sharing. You say, well, we share a house. We share a checkbook. That's great. But are you sharing your life? Are you sharing your life? I'll never forget, uh, years ago, there was a couple that came to me, uh, and their marriage was really having some trouble. The husband expected his wife to stay home. She expected his, he expected his wife to clean, to cook, to take care of the kids. And uh, the only problem was, and if that was something they worked out, the only problem was is that he would not give her access to, to any, any money. He, he said it was his money because he was the one working. 
He wouldn't even let his wife have a car. True story. She couldn't take the kids to the doctor in the middle of the day if there was an emergency because she didn't have a car. She couldn't go to the grocery store sometimes to buy things for the meal. Uh, and so he would get mad about that. But again, she didn't have access to the money and she didn't have access to a car. And so guess what happened to that couple? They're not together anymore. See, in some marriages, we think, well, I got my money. And they have theirs. I got my friends. And they got their friends, but no, that's not what it means to become one. It's no longer mine and it's no longer hers, it's ours. I don't get to keep things from Amanda, and Amanda doesn't get to keep things from me. Anything, anything that you will not give to your spouse, anything that you will not give to your spouse will create problems in your marriage. Anything. It'll create jealousy. Like what we've already talked about, the way that you establish the law of possession in your marriage is that you ask your spouse's input on every decision and you do not make a decision without consulting your spouse. Because listen to me, when you start trying to separate things, this is mine, this is mine, this is theirs, when you start trying to separate things, that ruins oneness and that ruins Intimacy. Intimacy means inner closeness. It means oneness. And see, when men hear and the two became flesh, their ears perk up. They think, hey, we're supposed to have sex, right? We're supposed to have sex. And yes, sex is very important in a marriage. And while I'm here, let me be real clear. Sex should be between a husband and wife. Okay, should be between a husband and wife. And let me be a little more clear. Husbands, it should be between your wife. <laughs> not some other husband's wife. And wives, it should be between you and your husband. Not another, not another woman's husband. It, it, it's between a husband and a wife. And single ladies, listen to me. Don't. Don't give yourself to a man who hasn't walked down the aisle to commit himself to you. Don't you do it. You need to listen to the words of the great theologian Beyonce when she said, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it, right? (laughs) I'm for real. Sex is an important part of marriage. Look at what the apostle, this is crazy. I've never thought about this. This is crazy. Look what the apostle Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is wild. The husband should, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Verse 4 says, The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. This idea of oneness and intimacy is so, so profound That the Apostle Paul is saying that when you get married, when you get married, you actually give sexual authority of your body over to your spouse. It's not a a license for abuse. It's permission for use. Okay? And what that is saying is that in a marriage, I'm not going to use my body as a weapon against my spouse. 
I'm not going to use my body as a bargaining chip. It's saying that, you know what, you can use my body to satisfy and take care of whatever needs that you need. That's what marriage is. That's how God designed it. Y'all still with me? The two shall become one flesh. So, Robert, how often should a husband and wife have sex? The men are like, get the, get the paper. Get the paper. Get the paper. How often? How often? So, here's the thing. Studies show that the average married couple has sex 51 times a year, basically once a week. Once a week. That's the average married couple. Well, I personally feel like Christians ought to be way above average. Okay? So, how many times? How often? Some men are like, yeah, praise the Lord. Uh, how, how often? Here's the thing. It's different for every couple, every married couple, because their drive is different. Every person's drive is different, but the bottom line is that it needs to be regularly. Regularly. You don't get to withhold your body from your spouse. You don't. Because your body is not your body anymore. You become one flesh. You share everything. I'm telling you, the word my destroys marriages. So there's this law of priority, this law of pursuit, this law of possession. Y'all still with me? All right, let's see one more. Law of purity. Law of purity. This is the fourth law that God establishes in marriage. I want you to see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. In verse 25, uh, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Again, God establishes marriage, and they are uh, naked. So this is before sin enters the world. This is before the fall. And where are they? They are in the Garden of Eden. And Eden, Eden, that word actually means pleasure and delight. It's awesome that God created marriage in a place of pleasure and delight. And it's also awesome that God created marriage and they were both naked. Isn't that awesome? Just naked. Some of y'all thinking, this is awkward. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is it's awesome to be naked with your spouse. Bear with me, okay? I, y'all, y'all already going to a different place. Watch this. Follow, this is interesting. Listen to me. I, this, this is unbelievable. Adam and Eve are naked until the fall. After the fall, the first thing that happened was Adam and Eve go and they take fig leaves. And they begin to cover themselves. What did they put fig leaves on? Their genitals. Can I say that? Is that I did. I'm sorry. Uh, that's, what, that's where they put them, right? Here's, here, man, this is unbelievable. They covered the places in their life where they were different and the most sensitive places in their life. The most sensitive places on their body. What's the point? The point is, when you are living in, when you're living your marriage with purity, when you're living your marriage with purity, you can expose all the areas, all the areas where you're different, and you can expose all the areas where you're sensitive, and there's no shame without there being a problem. But when you have sin in your marriage, and when you are sinning, against each other, you feel like you can't trust each other. And so you start hiding your differences, and you start hiding your sensitivities. Again, personal, personal example. Can I just be, be real transparent? When Amanda and I first 
got married, I didn't realize how mean I was. I really didn't. And her mom's in the room, and so is my mom. See, see, I didn't, I didn't know how to treat women. I, I didn't grow up in a home where a mother and father were present. When I was born, my dad left, and then several years later, my dad committed suicide. So I never saw a working husband and wife relationship. And there's plenty of people in this room the same way for you. You, 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 haven't, you just haven't seen it. So I didn't know how to treat, treat women. God has given me two daughters so that I'll make sure I learn how to treat them. But I remember my mom sitting me down in college. My mom sat me down, and she was worried about me. And she said, Robert, I'm worried about you. And I said, why are you worried about me? And she said, because you don't know how to treat women. And I thought, yeah, I do. But I didn't. I didn't know how to treat women. And even when Amanda and I first got married, I, I didn't know. There were times where I was just mean to her. There were times where I never even considered her needs. And the truth is, I don't even think I knew her needs because I didn't even know Amanda. I mean, I thought I knew her. I thought I knew her, but I didn't. See, I would stay up late every night playing video games. Every night playing video games. And she'd watch me for a little while play video games. And then she'd say something like this. Okay, I guess I'm going to go to bed. And I would say something dumb. Like, okay, I love you, honey. Can you get me a Coke uh, on your way to, to the bed? I'm going to be up a little while. Because, see, I was playing all night with my college buddies and some of my friends. And so she would go to bed alone. I mean, I thought things were good. But I was neglecting my wife. I was hurting my wife. I didn't even realize it. But she was hurting, and she began to cover herself with fig leaves, just trying to cover the sensitive areas in her life. Now, she wasn't telling me that I was hurting her because she thought I would have laughed at her or she thought I would have told her that her feelings were dumb because I was just insensitive. I was a jerk. Well, here's what the law of purity means in a marriage. It means that I have to be careful with how I act. It ha I have to be careful with what I do because everything that I do affects you. And so when I make a mistake, I have to take responsibility for it. And those are two things that I just wasn't doing early on in our marriage. I wasn't careful and I wasn't the kind of person to say I'm sorry. There was no intimacy. Now we had sex. She was good about meeting those needs of mine, but we just weren't intimate. We weren't talking on an intimate level. And so I remember God telling me that I needed to quit playing video games. And I know that might sound like, really? But it was important. I needed to quit playing video games, and so I did. I gave it up. And the time that I would have spent playing video games, I spent investing in my wife. I took that time to get to know her, and we started to talk, to hang out. And as we did, the fig leaves started coming off. She began to tell me things. Tell me things. And she would open up, and one day she was telling me about some of the things that I did, things that I didn't even realize that I was doing that hurt her. And I remember saying, why haven't you told me this before? And she's like, 
Well, I knew you wouldn't listen. I knew you wouldn't care. Basically, what she was saying is, I knew I couldn't trust you. She was covered. She was guarded. But today, that lady's naked. Life is good. (laughs) And what I'm saying is that I know my wife. I know her. See, I'm, I'm wrapping up. But you can live in the same house. You can live in the same house, but if you have a mouth on you and you hurt my feelings and you are disrespectful to me and you are critical of me and you don't take responsibility for what, what you're doing, do you think that I'm going to expose my heart to you, this area where I'm sensitive? Do you think I'm going to expose that to you? No. No. This is, this is the holy of holies for all of us. And we're all more sensitive than we'd like to admit. We are. And I cannot expose myself completely. I, 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 I can't remove the fig leaves for somebody, again, who's not going to take responsibility for their own behavior. But when you are careful with what you say and the way that you treat each other, when you take responsibility for your own mistakes, the fig leaves start coming off. And when it says that the man and the wife were both naked and unashamed, I want you to understand that that means that the man and wife were naked emotionally before one another. They were were naked physically. They were naked mentally. And they were naked spiritually. They could talk about anything without Shame. They could expose everything about themselves with no shame because they weren't afraid of the way the person that they were with was going to treat them. They weren't afraid. See, they were each other's safe place. And folks, that's, that's how we should be for our spouses. Am I right? We should be each other's safe place where we're careful with them. And when we do something to harm them, we take responsibility and we go and we make it right. We apologize with no excuses. See, see, we, we forget sometimes that the original sin of marriage was blame transfer. God goes to Adam and says, Adam, what is this you've done? And what does Adam say? It's the woman's fault. So he goes to Eve. Eve, what's this you've done? It's the devil's fault. I honestly believe that had they responded differently and had they taken responsibility for their own, their, own, their own reasons that they were having these problems, that God would have responded differently. See, I promise you that, that if you'll take responsibility for your roles, your role in the problems of your marriage, things will be different. So if you're married, are you breaking one of these laws? These are God's laws for marriage. If you're married, are you, are you breaking one of these laws? If so, make it right. You say, it's too late for my marriage. No. I, I still believe that God is in the business of resurrecting dead things and bringing them back to life. I believe in miracles. You can reestablish the law of priority, the law of pursuit, the law of possession, the law of purity, you repent and you go and make it right and watch how God blesses your marriage.
See, with every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but here's what I know. Every year when we do our You Asked For It series, the number one topic, the number one question for people has to do with marriage, has to do with hurting marriages. And I know in this room today that there are some marriages that are in trouble. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you, you, know, you, you come from a broken marriage where the divorce has happened. And you, you know, you can see where, you know what, you weren't honoring these laws. I want you to know that God forgives. He loves you. He loves your spouse. And if you're still together, don't give up. Don't give up, Father. I pray that you would heal marriages. I pray that you would heal families. Father, the devil wants to attack families and destroy families. And he's doing a pretty good job at it. But Father, you have all power. You have all authority. And so we rebuke the name of Satan in Jesus' name. Father, we rebuke Satan in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. Father, and we ask that you would bring healing, that you would do what only you can do. As we continue to pray, I just also wonder, maybe you're here today, and again, this is a marriage about, this is a message about love and marriage, but I want you to forget the love of God, the fact that he pursues you, that he pursues me. And I want you to know that if your relationship with God is not right, no other relationship that you have will ever be right. And so if you're here today and you know that just to make things right in your own life, you need to give your heart and life to Christ. You need to be saved. I'm going to ask that right where you are, you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for my sins. I confess you as Lord. You are my Savior. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be who you want me to be. And may others know that I'm yours by the way I live my life. Again, we're continuing to pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But if you prayed to receive Jesus today, I'm wondering if you'll do me a favor. If you prayed to receive Christ, you asked Jesus into your heart this morning. I'm going I'm to ask that you just raise your hand right where you are so that I can know Jesus is moving. Amen. Amen. One, two, three, four, five. Praise God. God is so good. Father, we celebrate new life. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate what you're doing in our midst. And we celebrate, Father, what you're going to do in marriages. Father, I pray that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus.